Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day, and I am so excited to be able to take uh, this time to, to focus in and honor uh, women and to honor mothers specifically. And so we're going to take a brief break from the book of Romans and dive into a different passage today and Isaiah 44. So if you got a Bible, I encourage you to click or turn there, Isaiah chapter 44. Verses 1 to 5 will be the passage that we look at today. And I will begin reading in verse 1. Isaiah 44, verses 1 to 5. The Word of God says this. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Let's pray. Father, as your word says in Third John, There's no greater delight than that our children are walking in the Lord. Our desire today is that, Jesus, you are our hero. You are the one that we speak of. You are the one that we adore. I pray that you're the one that we receive help from today. That we come and all pretense is kind of shaken away and there's just this sense of of gladness and thankfulness and honor. Father, I ask, I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in great measure in these moments specifically. That you would give rest to the weary soul. You would give comfort to the downcast. I pray that you would uphold the weak. I ask that you would encourage the discouraged, and I pray that you would give us joy. We ask this for the glory of your name and the good of your people. In Christ's name, amen. Moms, Mother's Day. As you consider this idea of being a mom, some of the funniest moments in all of life come from just being a parent, being a mother. Kids say really crazy things, and some of those bring some of the funniest moments in your life. Quotes like this coming from different kids. When one kid is seeking to hang up his clothes, he asks for the cliffhangers to hang up his clothes rather than the coat hangers. When asked, is that pollen? No, he says that's cloud pee. Okay, it's hard to correct a child when for breakfast he or she says, can I have bean it putter, 
for breakfast. One child would say, in my defense, a pineapple is basically a kiwi. That's not true. But you hear these things and it's just like, you soak them in, you love them. These are moments of just laughter in your heart of just like, it is great to be a parent. It's great to experience these moments. I was talking to my wife yesterday as we were walking and she just said, I think the height of every emotion has been experienced because I am a mom. The height of joy, the lowness of sadness, the intensity of all kinds of, whether it be emotion or fear or anger or whatever it is, it comes in this whole context of parenting. And when it comes to this idea of being a mom, I was struck with the opportunity we have to just learn today from moms, specifically about the love of God for us. When a mom experiences these, all these things, she is experiencing them in a way that we can look at a mom's life and become a learner. And I think a learner of the goodness of our God. So today we're going to look at three things, honor, learn, and encourage. Honor, we want to point out the love of God in women and in moms. Learn, we want to take lessons from mothers about the love of God and encourage. We want to rehearse the promises of the love of God for all of us, but especially for moms. Honor, learn, and encourage. Honor. Pointing out the love of God in women and moms. I must confess, as I was preparing for this message, I really felt like there was a lot I wanted to say. I was really encouraged by what the scripture said. I was excited to kind of lay out some of these things for moms. And then it hit me Friday morning as I was reflecting on the sermon when I realized what I needed to do was to begin not with what I could teach, but with what I have learned from women. To begin with not simply what the Bible says to do, but to share what I have seen in terms of the Bible lived out in women. And so today, it's a time to learn from women and from mothers on this Mother's Day. And I've got to watch faithful women, faithful mothers, very up close and personal. And I remember the one that left a very spiritually lasting mark on my life, and it was my nana. There's a picture of my nana right there. She has gone on to be with Jesus. But in this picture, I can almost assure that we were um, probably trying to make fun of each other or causing each other great uh, internal angst with trying to win an argument because that's what we spent our time doing on top of that playing cards, mostly Uno, and I would lose, but she was really good. I remember my Nana, she would teach her kids the Bible. She shared the gospel with multiple generations, and she showed me how Jesus applied to all of life. I was thankful for my Nana. I've also watched another woman and received from my mom 
a woman of sacrificial service and prayerful devotion to Jesus. I've watched her patience and her generosity. Letting people borrow things that most people would not, allowing people to live with them, serving in secret and serving people in all walks of life with joy, without partiality or prejudice, and doing it many times through the intense physical suffering undisclosed to most. I still and have for years received texts or calls or letters where she just tells me she is praying for me, and several times, coming at times only the Spirit of God could have prompted those moments for prayer. Faith, generosity, encouragement, prayers have been modeled and have, have left and are leaving a lasting impact in my 46 years of living. I've also watched another woman, my closest and best friend, my wife. I've watched her sit up late to help our kids with homework. I've watched her sit and listen. I've watched her know when to give space and when to press in. I've watched her take opportunities for discipline to show the firmness and yet the love of Jesus and yet still make time for me to listen to me, to bear my burdens, to serve, to pray for me, to want good for me. Just this week, I went and played pickleball for the first time in almost 30 years. I was required to play it in high school as one of the, you know, things that you, the fields you would learn, you know, and I went and played it again. The next day, I was really sore. I hadn't used those kind of muscles in a minute, but it was a lot of fun, and I tell you, my wife calls me, and her only reason to call was just to say, how did it go? Did you have fun? She was so excited that I was going to have that opportunity to do something fun. She was for me. I've learned from my wife to value emotions and to be more biblical with them, not stuffing them, not exploding with them, but processing them and not being afraid of them. She teaches me how to love, not simply through opening books, but how she lives. She cares so well for people. I'll catch her at times just looking at Marco Polo's where she's listening to the hurts of those in this church family, dear friends, family members, providing meals, writing letters, teaching, doing Bible studies. She's gifted with discernment. I love learning from my wife. Sometimes, I think we all, can look at how much we need to improve and focus on that. And sometimes we can look at how much others need to improve and focus on that. But I pray that what we do today is we stop to listen and recount the things we are thankful for. And to recall what grace we have learned from the lives of women. From even our mothers. My life has been and is being profoundly shaped, not by just these women, but by women in this church. I sit in counseling meetings, and I see praying women, patient women, strong women, wonderful thinking women, servant-hearted women. And although I'm a counselor in those moments, I'm also a learner a recipient of grace. I sit and equip our disciple-making process where we seek to learn how to be and make followers of Jesus. 
and I am taught as much as I teach. I watch women suffer well, listening to the profound insights into the scriptures and the humble application of the text of the gospel to the heart. I hear women sharing their stories of how God has changed their lives, but also how he is profoundly keeping them. I'm growing because of your lives. I see women on Sunday so faithfully using their gifts in Sunday leadership, in teaching, in greeting with joy, in leading us in worship through song, in welcoming guests and visitors, organizing outreach to the community, being exemplary pictures of love and warmth and hospitality and prayer and care for people of all ages. I see moms, even on Sunday mornings, fighting for patience as they instruct their kids. In community group, I see women hungry to know the word of God and faithfully working jobs, loving their husbands, caring for their children, loving the church and loving lost people. I see women in this church suffer and still cling to Jesus. My life and many of you are being deeply shaped because of the women God has saved and is constantly pouring his grace into. I praise Jesus for the women of this church, for the women in my life. I praise Jesus for the women young and old and single and married, married without kids, and on this day, those with kids. I praise Jesus. Friends, what I have sought to do in this moment is just simply take a small little fraction of time to honor women and to honor wives, to honor mothers. We are commanded to honor. Romans chapter 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. The Ten Commandments then repeated in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 2 says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long on the earth. 1 Peter chapter 3 tells husbands to live with your wife in an understanding way and show honor to her. Honor is not flattery. Flattery is making something up in order that somebody might feel good about themselves. It's lying. We're not about flattery. But what we are about is looking at the grace of God and talking about it a lot. It's honor. It's real relationships with real observable grace and thanking God for and encouraging others with how his grace has been at work. To honor is to encourage. It's to pour courage into someone else. It's to say, keep going. Your life is making a difference. The Spirit of God is at work specifically in your life. And he is not only producing these things in you, but he is working in thousands of ways you cannot see. But he is at work. To honor is to remind others, to remind you of the love of God for you and seen in you. We must, as a church, be a church of honor where we are much more aware of the grace of God in people's life than we are of the failures or mistakes in people's lives. A culture of honor and anticipation of encouragement 
talking about the Spirit's work, highlighting Jesus' love and forgiveness. This is a gospel culture, as Ray Ortland calls it. And when we have a culture of honor, then what happens is it creates a place of safety where people can grow in honesty and they can say, I'm really struggling here. They don't feel like they have to have everything together because they know that we are for one another. I'm looking out for the best in you. And so because you're convinced of that, then you can vulnerably let me into your life and say, I'm struggling, I'm angry, I'm anxious, I need help with this. I got too angry here, I chose to look at this and I shouldn't. All of a sudden we can become honest because we are convinced the gospel is greater than our sin. We talk about it a lot. And a culture of honor creates a culture of honesty, which creates a culture of humility, humble love. When we genuinely then begin to consider others better than ourselves. And you can do this with believers and unbelievers alike because we believe any goodness that is seen in others, it's called common grace. It's something that we can still look at and highlight, I'm thankful that you were kind there. Because we know, theologically, that's a work of God. Only God allows that kind of thing to happen. So whether it's common grace or whether we are pointing out the special grace of God in the lives of people today, I pray that our lives are characterized by honor. And the good news is, is in Romans chapter 12, which we'll get to in August, we'll get to have even more time to focus in on what it means to be a church, a culture of honor. But if we're a place of honor, a people of honor, then we are pointing out the love of God. And I specifically want to do that today in women and in moms. But one way that we do honor women and mothers is the next two points. It's we seek to learn from women and from mothers, and we seek to encourage. Learn, and that there are lessons from mothers' lives about the love of God that we want to look at this morning and encourage. We want to rehearse the promises of God for all people, but especially for mothers on this Mother's Day. Women in general, by God's grace, are compassionate and gentle and precious and strong. God chose women to be the ones to handle some of the greatest emotional and physical pain our world knows, called childbirth. Whenever the scriptures want to highlight something is deeply traumatic or painful, it is the groaning of labor pains that is highlighted. There's an inherent strength God has given women, and all of it so that we might watch women, not as objects of lust, but as teachers for our hearts. As people made in the image of God, valuable because they are made in His image. And if we have eyes to see the way we honor women and honor mothers is that we learn from them. We learn about the gentle, caring, all-satisfying, secure love of God that is to be and can be displayed in women and in mothers. Now we're going to allow Isaiah 44 to kind of walk us through a little bit of these lessons. 
So, Isaiah 44, the passage I read earlier, let's just make sure we understand the context. The context in Isaiah 40 through the end of the book, it shifts. At the first part of Isaiah, the primary theme is that Israel has failed and they will be judged in something called the exile. And that exile is deserved. They were promised the promised land. They rejected God. They spurned him. They did not follow him. They made images out of their hands and worshipped them as gods that would provide. And God says, this kind of treason and betrayal will not be tolerated. You will be judged. An exile is coming. But now what happens is, at chapter 40, Isaiah hundreds of years before the exile actually happens, says, although an exile is coming, restoration is also coming. I will still be God to my people. I will still make a people for my name. And so now we're in the chapters that highlight the promises of God's forever keeping love. And in Isaiah chapter 43, right before we dive into Isaiah chapter 44, we read these words, Isaiah 43, 25. God says, I, I am he who blots out transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. What did he just do? He says, I'm the one who will blot out transgressions for my own sake. That means my my name is at stake if I don't fulfill my promises. And so then he calls the people, he says, prove that you're worthy of such a sacrifice. Show that you are righteous in and of yourself. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Verse 27. And then he says, oh wait, your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. What's the punchline? There's nowhere you can look in your past behavior to say that you are worthy of my love. The record is tainted. The requirement is perfection. Humanity has fallen short. So what's going to happen? Isaiah 44, verse 1. But now hear, O Jacob... Remember, he's focusing in on Israel. O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord. And now what does he do? He hones in to say how he is going to forgive sinners who don't deserve it. And he uses the womb as the place to teach us a lesson on how he's going to do it. He uses the mother. He says... Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you in the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Very interesting, that word Jeshurun, it's used in Deuteronomy 32 sarcastically, because the word actually means upright, and he uses it in Deuteronomy 32 to say, you are supposed to be upright, but you are so far from it. And yet here he is saying, I have still chosen you, and I will accomplish my purposes to save you, to forgive you. 
Who is a God that can do something like this? Answer, it is the one who forms in the womb. It's the one who intricately looks at the womb and creates life. That's the God who is able to create spiritual life. So there are three primary lessons about the love of God that we can see. And the first one is lessons from the mother's womb. The secure love of God. What a battle it's been over the mother's womb this week, huh? I can't look at a news feed without seeing the leak, quote-unquote, from the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade. I've been praying for years that this decision would be overturned. The chance that it would be would surely save lives. What is shocking to me is that as these days have produced all kinds of resistance and very harsh language. Sam Albury said this, interesting to note, when the chips are down, how quickly everyone reverts to assuming we all know what a woman is. It hasn't been confusing this week. Women's rights are very clear. It just shows the brokenness of our culture. We cannot look to our culture to help us understand what is right and good. We must look to the scriptures. The scriptures are very clear that life begins at conception in the womb, knit together by our God. And our God uses the womb not as a place of controversy, but of life. A place where we are to look and to learn that we can trust God. And instead, it has become a place of potential destruction and a place that allows life to be killed. God uses a mother's womb as a classroom of sorts, as a seminary, where we learn about the love of God. Psalm 139, 13 to 14. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And because you did that, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. What is he teaching us about his love from the womb? Answer, the miraculous, creative attention to detail and the unfathomable love of God are on full display where life is created in the womb. The mother's womb is a place that is meant to highlight God's care. Whether this sweet life lasted five minutes or whether a sweet life is delivered healthy and everything in between, the Lord's love is sure and secure. 
Job 1, 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What are we supposed to learn as we look at the mother's womb? You came in dependent. Not independent. Make sure you hit a space in between what I said. You came in dependent on the Lord. And you will leave this earth dependent upon his mercy. You brought nothing into the world. You can take nothing out of the world. And what is meant to be seen from this passage as you look at the mother's womb is a sovereign God, a sovereign king who is also a tender father. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. When you look at Psalm 71 verses 4 to 6, the picture of the psalmist is someone who is being attacked who feels like that everything is collapsing in on them. Where does the psalmist go to find encouragement? The psalmist goes to the mother's womb. Psalm 71, verse 4, Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually on you. The fact that you are here, sitting here listening, shows that in the womb you were leaning solely upon a God who makes everything work inside that womb that you would be here to this day. It shows his loving kindness. It shows that you can trust him then. You can trust him now. He didn't change. From conception to now, he is still God. And we're meant to look at the mother's womb. Not as a place of controversy. But as a place that teaches us about a God who can be trusted. A God whose love is deeper and wider than we can ever imagine. And it is meant to really just be a warning flag for us. To not allow culture to define these battles. Let God say what needs to be said about the mother's womb. So in the midst of pain or betrayal or attack, look to the mother's womb. Look to the God who has knit you together. But we not only learn lessons about God's love, his secure love from the mother's womb, we also learn lessons from a nursing mother about the gentle, caring love of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Paul, speaking to the church at Thessalonica, he talks about his care for the church, and he uses the mother as the teacher. Paul is a learner from women, and he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, this concept of gentle 
is how Jesus describes himself and is what now has become, because of several books, a really famous passage in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. In verse 29, when Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly. And that word gentle is also the word that is used to describe him when he got on the donkey rather than like in a chariot like he deserved, like he didn't come in as the triumphant king. He got on a donkey and he came in humbly. That word humble is the word for gentle used to describe Jesus. And you know who else it describes? In the scriptures, it uniquely describes the wives in 1 Peter chapter 3. When in 1 Peter chapter 3 it says, adorn yourself with the imperishable beauty of a, here's your word, gentle and quiet spirit. There is something about observing women that is meant to highlight the gentleness of Jesus to us. To anyone who will learn. And so Paul is saying, he was looking at a nursing mother and saying, that with the same care that that mother has for that child is how I learn to be gentle. It's, it's what teaches me about my Savior, Jesus. Paul says, that's how we treated you, church. As a mother seeks to provide for, nurture, and care for, this is how Paul sought to care for the church. Isaiah 66, it uses this nursing mother image and it says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees as the one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You get the image? Standing back, watching a mom taking care in all different facets of life, providing for in food, bouncing on the knee, trying to take care of this mom or this, this child. And he says, just as that mom has comforted the children, so now I comfort you. Do you see what God is doing here? He is saying that you learn uniquely about the love of God by learning from women, by learning from moms. And it's this Savior that we learn about, this gentle Savior who says in Isaiah 42, verses 3 and 4, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench, he will faithfully bring forth justice, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. Moms, are you overwhelmed? You feel like you can't go anymore? Have you ever said, I'm just going to break? Our gentle Savior, who we can learn about by watching a mom take care of her children, he says to you, I'm not going to let that happen. You might feel like you're going to break. I will not allow my children to be broken. The waters will constantly recede, but they will not forever recede. The tide will come back in. Because our Savior is gentle and lowly. 
Our Savior, a bruised reed, he will not break. A faintly burning wick, he's not going to snuff out. It's meant to be a moment of encouragement that our God can be talked to about your frustrations, about your anxiety, about the fact that you feel fatigued and weary. He wants you to bring it to him so that you're not handling it alone. He wants your fears and your tears. These are the lessons of God's gentle, caring love as we look at mothers. Final lesson is lessons from mothers in general on the satisfying love of God. In Psalm 131, we go to Psalm 131 and what we read is this. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up too high. My eyes are not raised up too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. And how does he teach us about a calm soul? Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. A weaned child is a child that has come to the conclusion that mom is going to provide. It's a picture of trust that puts the child at ease. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What is the lesson to be learned here? God can be trusted. He can be trusted. You look at a mom's life, you look at how a child begins to trust its mother at certain points. We know, obviously, imperfectly, and you wish they would trust you more. But the point is, there's a lesson to be learned here of what the quiet, not anxious soul is. And it comes from looking at how a child trusts its mother. You made me trust you. A relationship between a mom and a baby is one of trust, a place to learn that God will provide. So how in the world do we honor? We not only speak words of thankfulness, words of encouragement, but we learn. And we not only learn from women and learn from mothers, but we also honor by encouraging. And this is where we end as we finish up Isaiah 44. Rehearsing the promises of the love of God. Look at Isaiah 44 with me. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. What's the command he is giving to his people? What are the next two words of the scripture? Let's say them together. Fear not. Okay, yep, I knew you weren't tracking, so we're there now. Okay, verse 2, let's say these words together. Fear not. This is what he wants us to get across. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Basically, you could say, my people, fear not. It says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants so that life springs up. Verse 5, this one will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob. But he says, fear not. Why? Because some of you, mothers, as I have talked about how you're supposed to be one that we can look at to be a picture of God's gentle, 
caring, trustworthy, secure love, you're now overwhelming, overwhelmed and maybe even sitting in shame. I don't feel like that person, you might say. Or you might be the one that kind of rehearses all your failures and feel like, that is way too much. I can't do that. And so all of a sudden you feel like you don't measure up. The weight is too heavy. And yet he says, fear not. You might be fearing your kid's future. How their life will turn out. And he says, fear not. You might be fearing the struggle in a current relationship that feels just too painful and too difficult. And he says, fear not. You might be fearing physical pain or the prospect of death. And he says, fear not. You might be fearing being alone. And he says, fear not. We have so many fears that keep us up at night. And yet he says, fear not. How? If I'm in your shoes, and I am one who is battling with fear all the time, how? Fear seems to be my only option at times. Haven't you laid there in bed and you try, you try really hard to get whatever you're afraid of out of your mind, get in a better space, and you can't get there. How? It seems like the only option. It's when fear dominates the thinking that you feel dry. Do you see the imagery that he uses here? The dry ground, the thirsty ground. It's a good picture for where we get. We just feel like we can't go anymore. We need water. It's a picture of our weary hearts. And in Jesus, we are told, fear not. How? Well, the answer is, in Isaiah 44, fear not. And then verse 3. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon you. Punchline, fear not because I'm with you. The spirit of the living God, God himself promises that with those who trust in him, he comes and takes up residence. You are never alone and you are never without supply. Fear not, for the God of the universe, the one who goes in the mother's womb and knits together life is the God who lives inside of you and says, you don't have to be afraid, I've got this. Let me just update you. The fact that you are here in this moment is owing all to the grace of God. And it's that God who says, I am fully for you, fear not. Fear not. He is saying, nothing is too hard for me. I have given you the only gift you need in the face of fear, and it is myself. Whenever he talks about pouring the Holy Spirit into your heart, it's the same way that Romans 5 talks about pouring the love of God into your heart. For that's how you know God's love for you, is the Spirit of God is in you, and he is saying, you're loved, you're loved, You're loved. Don't forget it. You're loved. How can he give sinners who can't measure up and who are paralyzed by fear this lavish, incalculable gift of God himself? It's because he gave his only son who gave himself for us on the cross. The argument here in Isaiah 44 
is, as one commentator says, God is reminding his people how fully committed he is to them. He is fully committed to you. So committed that when you get to verse 5, you've basically got people who have tattooed the Lord's name on them. It is, I'm the Lord's. It's like, there's no doubt whose name is theirs. It's like when a child is born, they take the last name to say, that child is mine. And what happens in Isaiah 44, verse 5, it says, and they have the name of the Lord on them, so that you know whose you are. It's a reminder to you, it's a reminder to others that the Lord is your Lord. You are the Lord's. He forgives you for his namesake. His name is on the line. And so because his name is on the line, he will do whatever is necessary with love greater than a mom has for a child, whatever is necessary to care for his children. He will do what is necessary to demonstrate to the world that that name means something. You are mine. You are my treasured possession, 1 Peter says. Are you dominated by depression? There is a strength in you that tells you that depression will not win. Sadness is not your identity. You are the Lord's. The waves will break. Are you crushed by the weight of responsibility? Just be faithful in the small things and trust the Lord with the outcome and he will give you everything you need to be faithful each and every day. He is inside of you. Fear not, Isaiah 44 says, because I am with you. And as we end, there's one final passage. One final passage that speaks the same way to your fears. Because there are times, if you're honest and I'm honest, when the thirsty ground makes us feel like God isn't around. Our fears make us feel like that we have been forsaken. That God is not being loving towards us that he has removed himself from us in some way, shape, or form. And I just want you to hear the gospel. Sin makes us miserable, but it does not remove God's love from us. God is love. And you have felt forsaken before. You have questioned his love. Mothers, you know what this is like, don't you? You know when children question your love all the time, right? They complain because you're not giving them what they need when they need it, according to their definitions, right? <laughs> That's how this goes. They get mad at you because you take things away and you don't give them what they want. Or you feed them a balanced diet rather than a diet of candy and you're unjust. They get angry. They question your love for them, they feel alone. But are they? Have you chosen to do bad to them? Have you left them and removed your name from them? No. Because you know love has to do some of those things in order to be loved. Love has to do hard things. As well as laugh and give good gifts 
It has to do hard things because that's what love does. Because the children don't know what is best. We're children. God knows what is best. Have you felt forsaken? Alone? Like he's not there for you? Listen to Isaiah 49. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted. Do you hear this possessive language? You are his. You are his. You are his. But then the people say, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And now look at what he does. He uses a mom to teach us about his love. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? The general answer is no. The woman doesn't forget her nursing child. She is a woman of compassion towards that child. But he knows moms are not the Savior. He knows some moms are hurtful or neglectful, have been absent. Moms get stuck in sin. Some parents have abandoned. And this is why adoption is so beautiful. Adoption is beautiful because it mirrors God's love for children who have been abandoned or orphaned. When Psalms 27.10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Although we look at mothers, mothers are not the Savior. We look through them to the Savior who says, Isaiah 49.15, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget but I will not forget you. Every earthly example will fall short, but Jesus will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You hear the, the parallel imagery. You've written him on your name, kind of tattooed it there, but it's only because he shed blood first. Your name has been engraven on the palms of his hands he will not forget you because he died for you. When Mother's Day is hard because your mother was absent or your mother was hateful or you had a miscarriage or you desperately wanted to have children and you can't or you just feel alone or your mom has passed away and you miss her, all of these are reasons for sorrow. You are not crazy or faithless to cry and to long for, and to miss. Don't, however, interpret loss as identity. Barren is not your identity. The Lord is your identity. Miscarriage is not your identity. The Lord is your identity. Whatever you do, don't interpret loss as abandonment. Because Jesus says, fear not, you are mine. I will comfort you. I will and I am pouring out my love and compassion upon you. Your name is etched in blood, blood shed for you. And he is saying, look to the cross to know that I will never forsake you. So church, women, mothers, be encouraged. Be encouraged by the promises of God's love for you. Learn 
learn from women, from faithful mothers, but look even more through those imperfect examples to the perfect love of our Savior that they represent. In church, let's honor. Let's be a people that look at where God is at work and talk about it a lot so that we can be a healthy culture of honor, honesty, and humble love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that today is marked as a major step forward in us being a gospel culture. Father, I pray that we would grow in being a people of honor. We would not be shy about pointing out the grace that we see in other people's lives. I pray that this place would be seen as a place of safety, a place of encouragement for women, for men, for old, for young, for all ethnicities, for our struggles to be able to be shared together. Father, I ask that you would make us a people of honor and honesty and humility and help us to be learners, Father. I pray that we would learn from your scriptures. And may it begin today with honoring women, and specifically, honoring mothers. Father, we are thankful that you put your son on Calvary, that we might never be forsaken. And no matter how bad earthly relationships go, you will never forget us. You will never leave us. I thank you for your gentle care. I thank you for your secure love. Father, I just pray that we would receive your love today. Right now, I just want to pray a prayer. Let's just spend some time in prayer right now. I just want to pray a prayer of surrender. That there would just be a letting go some of you, you are more aware of the bad situations in which you are in and you're struggling to even take them to the Lord than you are aware of his grace and his promises for you to be with you through the trial. And I just ask that you would surrender like an infant in the womb leans wholly upon the mother to protect and care and ultimately upon the Lord to provide. There is this sense. I pray that right now you would just put hands up ask the Lord to come and to comfort and to encourage and to bring peace and to give you a confidence that you can trust him through whatever storm you face. Others in this space right now that don't know Jesus, I'm not talking about you don't know how to go to church. I'm not talking about you don't know how to be religious. You don't know how to read your Bible. I'm talking about you have never surrendered your entire life to Christ, believing that your performance will always fall short, and so you cast your feet 
wholly on Jesus as the only means of your forgiveness of your sins, that you acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you can't fix your life, and that you wholeheartedly say, Jesus, I trust in you alone to take away my sin, and I trust in you day by day to help me live for you, and I love you, Jesus. I want to live for you, and I don't know how to fix everything, but I know that I can trust you to do so, and today can be the day that you surrender for the first time your life into the safe and loving arms of Jesus who died in your place and rose from the dead, and he calls on you to repent of sin and trust him with your life. Today is that day. Don't play religion. Don't think you're secure because of some external actions, but trust in Jesus. Receive his love for you and live in the supply that he gives you day by day. Be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Confess your sin and your faith today. For others in this space, you feel inadequate. Confess today God's promised supply of your inadequacy. Confess that he is with you and for you. Let's just take some time right now, just a few moments to pray, and then we will sing of the great love of God for us.